Well, good morning. My name is Grant. If you haven't met before, I'm one of the pastors here. And I just wanted to say before we get into anything this morning, what do you, what do you think of this? Our decor team worked really hard. Got you really early this morning just to set this up. And some people think the church should be like a lounge space, kind of couches and pillows and things like that make you feel at home. Actually, we believe God is building his church. God is advancing his kingdom. So yeah, I appreciate the laughter because it's very cheesy and corny, but, um, Hopefully this won't be here next week. I did just think before we get into our message for today, uh, last night we had our deacons end of year party, some of our deacons and leaders in this church. And I wanted to ask uh, that team or the guys who are here, we went a little bit late for some people, but if you guys wouldn't mind just standing quickly, uh, we'd love to just honor you. Come on, don't be shy now. You know who you were. If you were there last night, stand to your feet. Give this guy, these guys a bit of a round of applause. So we've got about 20 of them who are obviously sleeping in this morning after last night. But we, we do have life group leaders, band leaders, ministry leaders in this church who play an amazing role in investing into the people of Harbor City. They pray, they give, they serve, uh, they love, they care, they make Sundays happen, stuff midweek happen. And I just want to say, if there's anyone in this church who's really blessed you or encouraged you, a life group leader, someone who served you in some way, why don't you let them know at the end of this year? One of the things the scriptures say is give honor where honor is due. And I think it's such a good thing for us to honor those who actually have been an example to us or an encouragement to us. So I really want to encourage you with that. But um, this morning, I want to start with a little quote from one of my favorite authors. Any C.S. Lewis fans in the room today? There we go. I saw like a yes at the back, some some lovers of his. If you don't know, the C.S. Lewis is more than Narnia, guys. He wrote the Narnia books, but he wrote so much more. Um, and this is one of my personal favorite quotes. He says, I cannot find a cup of tea which is big enough or a book that is long enough. Isn't that a good quote? I cannot find a cup of tea which is big enough or a book that is long enough. Do we have any book or tea fans in the room today? Yeah, there we go. So if you're neither of those, maybe you need to substitute book or tea with something else. I don't know, beer or pizza or I don't know, your favorite exercise thing. Put that in there so that you can relate to that quote. Because something that C.S. Lewis is trying to say there in this quote is that the things we enjoy and love, the things that satisfy us, the things that we choose to do with our free time, the things that we choose to spend our hard-earned money on, the things that we think will give us meaning in life are never quite enough. They're never quite enough. They satisfy us, but that satisfaction is short-term, or they satisfy us, but that satisfaction doesn't go deep enough to bring a lasting long-term change. We always need more of them. But even more of them won't do it. It won't give us the thing that we need. Another quote by another great um, Christian leader, a man named Sadhu Sandar Singh, who was a pastor and missionary in India. He says, just as thirst implies water, and water is intended to remove thirst, so the existence of desire in the soul implies the existence of true happiness and peace. When the soul finds him who planted within it that desire, it receives far greater satisfaction than the thirsty man does. From water. There's this reality that uh, desire inside of us isn't a good or a bad thing. It's actually a neutral thing. But desire is a signpost pointing us to something else. The desire that you feel inside of you is pointing you to something that can satisfy that desire, something that can fill you with the happiness and peace that we most long for. So desire is actually a good thing if we allow it to point us to the one that can satisfy us. But we need to find him. We need to get to that place. We need to get him. So what is it that our souls long for, and how do we get it? Yes, that's what we're going to be speaking about today. So if you do have the Bible, a Bible with you, you can turn to John chapter 6. 
Otherwise, it will come up on the screens behind me. Now, this is a long chapter. It's 71 verses long. So we're not going to read the whole chapter today. But I would encourage you guys, maybe later this afternoon or tomorrow during the week, just to go through it and read it because it is full of some nuggets and some good stuff in here. But we're going to start in verse 24 and we'll jump around a little bit in John 6 and see what Jesus has to say about satisfaction. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. I want you just to note that. In verse 5, it calls this crowd a large crowd. And we actually get an idea. It says there were 5,000 men plus women and children there. So if we work out like maybe another 5,000 women and a bunch of kids, you've probably got between twelve and 20,000 people that were there when Jesus was doing this ministry and doing his thing. And when they can't find Jesus the next day, this twelve to 20,000 people are hopping in boats. It's like planes, trains, automobiles, whatever they can get on. They're getting in that transport to get to Capernaum because they want to be with Jesus and hear from Jesus and encounter him a little bit more. Verse 25, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, this is a classic Jesus moment. He doesn't actually answer their question. He says something completely different. Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, the miracles, the healings, heard the teachings, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. So let me explain that quickly. This chapter is a chapter that is really bread-centered. So if you're not a carb or gluten person, you're going to struggle the whole way through John chapter 6. But verse 1 to 15 tells us the story of Jesus miraculously multiplying the five loaves and two fishes to feed that crowd of twelve to 20,000 people. So just to get this picture in your mind, whatever size a loaf of bread looks like to you, there were five of them, and then there were two fishes, however big that fish might be, and Jesus somehow multiplied that miraculously again and again and again to feed about 15,000 people so that there were leftovers. That's an incredible thing that's going on there. So that is the context of what he's saying. But more than the miracle, there's this real-life example going on in this story of us being obsessed with the temporary instead of the eternal. Jesus is saying, you have sought after me. You've inconvenienced yourself. You've hopped in boats. You've done whatever it took to get to me, not because of the miracles, the supernatural, not because of the teaching, not because of me, but because you ate some really good bread and really good fish and you were full. He says, you people are coming here because of the temporary stuff, the physical stuff, the natural stuff, not because of the supernatural, eternal, powerful stuff that I've been doing. He says, you haven't come after me because of my teaching. You haven't come after me because of the gospel. You've come after me because you see me as some kind of vending machine or genie that is going to spit out and give you the things that you want. But they're not so interested in Jesus the Savior They're not so interested in salvation for their souls or the forgiveness of sins. They just want the sandwiches. And Jesus says to them, you're not seeking me because of any of these things. You're not seeking me because of who I am. You're seeking me because of what I did, because of what I gave you, because of the way I met your needs, satisfied your hunger, filled you up. One writer says they were moved not by full hearts, but by full bellies. And they were coming back to Jesus because of the things they thought he could give them rather than because of him himself. So Jesus carries on in verse 27, and he says this. Do not work for the food that perishes. Please note that. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? 
And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him in whom he has sent. For the bread of God, in verse 33, is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to him, uh, sorry, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. You have a spiritual hunger, and God has sent me down from heaven to earth to meet and satisfy that spiritual hunger. I am the bread of life. Now, that word life is a really interesting one. There's two Greek words for life. One is bios, and the other is zoe. So bios as in biology, physical, natural, that kind of thing. Zoe as in quality of life. So the one, the bios, is about existence. The other one, Zoe, is about quality of life or experience. Now, what's kind of interesting, my sister's daughter's name is Zoe. People call their kids Zoe. We like the quality of life thing. No one calls their kids bios, or if that's what you're going with, that's cool. I've just never heard it before. But we don't pick that name, but we love the quality of life idea. We love the eternal life, life with God picture that Zoe is speaking about. Now, let me just explain that in a slightly different way, these two ideas of life. I don't know if you've ever been in an experience which got your adrenaline pumping. You jumped off a cliff into a pool below. You went skydiving or bungee jumping. You did something really fun that your adrenaline was pumping. And afterwards you went, I feel so alive. That was amazing. Or maybe now you're looking forward to this at the end of work, lying on a beach, putting your feet up, sipping a cocktail or a Coke or whatever you like to do, and just enjoying the sun and going, the hard years work. I can now rest. And you go, this is the life, you know? I feel fully alive. This is the life. In neither of those situations does anyone think you were dead before, you know? It's not a bios thing. It's a Zoe thing. It's not a being alive thing. It's a fullness of life, quality of life thing that Jesus is speaking about here. So when Jesus speaks about being the bread of life, he's not talking about a physicality, biological kind of thing. He's not saying, I will meet your physical hunger. He's not going into competition with ShopRite and Checkers and Spar and Woolworths and Pick and Pay and all those companies. He's speaking about a spiritual hunger that he will satisfy if we eat of him. He's talking about being spiritual bread that can bring life to our souls and make us fully alive. Now, there's many things out there that promise fullness of life. There are many things out there that promise us satisfaction or to meet our needs. And Jesus is making a very bold claim. He's saying, none of those things will satisfy you like me. None of those things ultimately can give you the satisfaction that that hunger inside of you is pointing towards. I am the only thing, which is a really, really bold and big claim. Now, before we carry on, I want you to consider this. Think about how much time you spend on food and fulfilling your physical hunger. Probably for a lot of us this morning, we got up, and one of the first things you did, if you're anything like me, put on the kettle, made yourself a cup of tea or coffee, got the day going, a little bit of caffeine, a bit of a kick, and then probably you made yourself some toast or some cereal or boiled an egg or whatever you're into for breakfast. You made that, and you ate that to kind of fill the gap, give you a little bit of energy, and get the day going. And that happens pretty much every day. I know there's some of us who just do the coffee and hop in the car and don't worry about breakfast. But some of us, I know, will be meal planning tonight. We'll be cooking for the week, either for lunches or dinners. Or every day we make our lunch in the mornings and we pack it into our little lunch box like little kids and we take that to work with us. Or at night we get home or after work we go to the grocery store. 
and we buy the things that we need to make dinner, and then we go to the stove or oven or whatever you've got, and we prepare it, and we cook it, and we eat it, maybe have a little bit of dessert, and then we finish off the night. Food is almost the thing that our entire days are based around, you know? Breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Food is a really big thing. It takes a lot of our time preparing each of those meals, thinking about what we're going to eat, going to the shops, cooking the meals, eating the meals. It takes up a lot of our time. And then add to that the fact that we don't just spend time on food, but we spend money. Obviously, going to the grocery store, but also some of us are happy to spend a lot of money going to restaurants to eat fancy food that we really want to eat because it's going to satisfy us and it's going to fill us up and it's going to be a really amazing experience. So Jesus is almost starting us off with that. And then he's wanting to flip the tables and say, how much time do you spend on your spiritual hunger? How much do you, time do you spend on that desire and craving that is inside you and satisfying that? How much time and money and effort, how much preparation goes into that? How much are you feasting on Jesus throughout the day and throughout the week to find the satisfaction and nourishment that your body and your soul most need? In John 6 verse 27, Jesus says, Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man, which Jesus will give you. And Jesus, is he's like a master storyteller. He's such an incredible teacher. He's pushing back on the crowd. He's pressing on them a little bit and on their hearts. And he's saying, what is it that you're living for? What are your priorities? What are you spending your time on? What is the thing that matters most to you? Is it just physical needs? Is it the temporal? Is it what's around you? Or is it what is eternal? Is it me? Is it that deep soul hunger inside of you? And this is a really important thing because the reality is our world has got a lot of breads on offer. There's a lot of things that we can go to to satisfy our hungers and our desires. And Jesus is saying, what will you choose? Will you choose the bread of life? Will you choose one of these other imitation breads? Those breads that spoil or perish. The things that we work for that will not last for long. And we could probably list those as our jobs. Not if we work, but if we make that the thing that satisfies us. We could make that our experiences. Not that actually we need experience to live, but actually we are living for experience or holidays or things or adventures. We could call that cars or gadgets or toys or clothes or holiday destinations or success or a romantic partner or even food. Jesus is saying, that will not satisfy you like I will. And I've fallen into that trap so many times. How often have we wanted something desired something, started to fantasize about this thing. Maybe like with whatever spare time you've got, you're online, you're kind of looking at it, you're pricing it, you're thinking, how can I get this thing? And just obsessed, you're obsessed with it. It's on your mind, you dream about it, first thing you think about when you wake up. And maybe you're able to save up and finally buy this thing and it arrives or you go to the shops and you get it or you go and experience it or whatever it is that you are wanting. And at first it is good. At first it really is pleasant, it does satisfy But it's almost like as soon as that thing is yours, as soon as you have it, it's like almost the depth of it disappears, you know. It satisfies, but it doesn't live up to the hype. And we're often down for a little bit because of that. We think, okay, I thought this job, I thought this qualification, I thought this person was going to meet that need, but they haven't. And we're down for a bit. And then you know what's so funny about us is then we lift our heads again and we see something else And we start to obsess about that thing and dream about that thing and focus on that thing and live for that thing. And we go through the cycle again and again and again, looking to these things to give us life when actually they can't. Jesus says that that way of life will never satisfy our deepest needs and desires. What does that look like for you? What is that thing that you've got your mind focused on at the moment? 
Um, I had an experience a couple of years ago. I think a lot of you will know what Durban uh, DCC, Durban Christian Churches, Durban Christian Center. Uh, you drive past that as you come into town from Spaghetti Junction, a massive church building on the right. And it burnt down a couple of years ago. They almost finished rebuilding that space. But a friend of mine, Nick Faircliffe, is a sound engineer, and he sets up sound in churches and facilities all around the country and the world. And I went in with him and another friend and just got to check out this facility. And it was really inspiring. You know, Nick had probably put millions of rands worth of lighting and sound into the space. It was an incredible venue. And because Nick was kind of a big deal, he could take us into all the side rooms and behind the scenes and show us all the bits and pieces. It was really, really amazing. And probably for a pastor like me, that should be the dream, you know, to lead a church like that, you know, to have a facility like that. 5,000 seater, incredible space. I think they've hosted massive music events and conferences and had big deal speakers on that stage, all of that. And I was standing in the center of that hall looking around, and it's very impressive. It's a very beautiful space. And I thought to myself, and this probably was God speaking and probably helping me inside, I thought to myself, if... I led this church. If this was the building Harbor City had, would this satisfy me? And honestly, I knew in that moment it wouldn't. You know, it probably would be cool. Like, probably would like stroke my ego or something to preach to 5,000 people on a Sunday or to be known as the leader of this big church, probably the biggest church in our city. Probably would look good. Probably would feel good in some ways. And you know, there can be really positive motives for that. You know, God could call me or one of you to that in the future. And you could be sitting here thinking, but Grant, just imagine the people we could reach with a bigger place, 100%. Our motives could be so pure in that. But if I was to devote my life to getting that job, leading that church, having a building like that, I would work harder, try more, do whatever it took to get that. I'm pretty sure when that building was opened, when I was appointed to that position, I would go, I finally got it. And this is not going to meet the need, you know. It's not going to satisfy. It doesn't live up to the hype or it doesn't live up to what I built it up to be. It's not going to satisfy in the way only Jesus can. It wouldn't satisfy like him. So often I use that story because we are hungering after the wrong types of bread. Our stomachs are salivating. Our souls are craving the wrong kinds of thing. And we're going after that thing, hoping it's going to meet the need, but it won't. What are you craving? What are you hungry for? What is the DCC Jesus Dome version for you in your story that you could live for, that you know even now wouldn't meet the need? The reality is that probably for all of us in this room, we've already made a decision about what we believe will give us the good life. Probably already set our course for what we think is going to satisfy us and give us what we most desire. And we're living for that already. We're spending a lot of time. We're working hard. we're, We're building towards something, thinking if I get that, I'll have what I most need. But Jesus says to us, from a place of deep love, unless what you're living for is the bread of life, unless it's the life I can give you, eventually that thing will go stale and will perish and will spoil. Jesus says, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. You see, if your life is built around just day in and day out, just working to put food on the table, just working for physical things, just working for natural, what we see around temporary stuff, you're probably not going to find it that satisfying. Saying if that's the motivation, if that's the drive inside of you, you're not going to find that a satisfying life. We were made for more. 
And perhaps that's the reason so many Christians seem to feel bored with life, bored with following Jesus, almost like this isn't it. It's because we are busying our lives living for these other things that don't satisfy us rather than coming and eating from the bread of life who promises that he will. The life we're looking for is not a thing. It's not an idea. It's not something we earn or achieve. It's not something that we can work for. It's a person named Jesus who the Father has given down from heaven as a gift for you and I that we can freely receive and eat from even today. And ultimately what happens is in this passage in John 6, Jesus calls the crowd that is listening to him to respond, which I guess is what he would say to us today. In verse 53 to 55, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. Now, we're not going to take communion today. I think some of you are like, where are the communion tables at? Like, this is a perfect opportunity. Where's the bread and grape juice at? And I think often this passage is used for communion. It makes sense. This is one of the reasons that we break bread together or, or we do that regularly in remembrance of him as we eat the bread and we drink the, the wine in remembrance of what he did on the cross, giving his body and shedding his blood for us. But the reason I didn't want to do that today is because this is not a passage about communion. This is a passage about feasting on Jesus and being satisfied in him. Today's not just, oh, cool, yeah, this is why we do communion. No, this is the fact that Jesus is everything. And some of us might come to this passage and be a bit numb. We've heard John 6 preached on before. We've heard someone else teach on this. Everything's okay, guys. Tari's just heading out. You don't have to worry. Guys, have got her. She's okay. But we can very easily become numb to this passage because we've heard it so many times and we've heard the story. And we can come and we can hear what Jesus is saying but not through the lens of the original hearers. Because they would be a bit horrified by this. You know, As Jesus is speaking, they're like, take it easy, Jesus. This sounds crazy. Like you were speaking some really wise things before, and now all of a sudden you've gone into this post-apocalyptic zombie kind of situation, talking about eating your body and drinking your blood. And you listen to that and you go, no wonder churches freak people out sometimes. Because Jesus did. You know, Jesus has got this crowd of thousands of people around. He's saying some weird things. He's freaking people out. This is not a church growth strategy. This is not like a visitor retention thing at all. Jesus is saying the truth. And it is worrying people. It's weirding people out. Now listen, I'm not saying that you should choose to do that. But Jesus is very intentionally doing this here. His sermon is taking the strange turn where it looks like he's talking about cannibalism and vampirism or whatever it is. And his Jewish audience is freaking out because they know the scriptures well. Deuteronomy 15, Leviticus 17, Deuteronomy 17, they all forbid Jewish people from drinking blood. And Jesus is like, drink my blood, eat my flesh. It's a very weird moment. So what is Jesus doing here? I don't know if you stood in front of a vending machine before and you've got like enough coins to get what you want out of that thing. So you kind of pop in your selection, you're craving that Kit Kat or whatever it is that's in there that's going to pop down. Take out your coins and you put one in, you put the next in, and you hear it drop down, drop down, but there's no clink. It doesn't hit the bottom. Like it gets stuck somewhere in there and it doesn't go down and you have no more coins. So your stomach's going for it. You want that Kit Kat. So you hit the side of the machine. You maybe hit it again. You give it a gentle shake. You're worried there's like an alarm that's going to go off or it's going to fall over or something. So you want the chocolate. 
but you realize, like, actually, unless this thing drops down and clinks, it's kind of game over. Jesus is saying this is what's happening with these people. The penny hasn't dropped for them. The penny hasn't dropped. They're not getting out what they desire. And this is a group of Christians. We'd call them Christians, you know. They've been around Jesus long enough. They've heard the teaching. They've seen the miracles. They've seen Jesus. Some of them have chatted to Jesus, touched Jesus. They've been around him and experienced him. They've even inconvenienced themselves, hopped in boats, traveled across the river, come to Capernaum because they want to be around him. It sounds pretty Christian to me. sounds like they're pretty down for more Jesus. You could say they've tried Jesus, but they haven't eaten from the bread of life. Because they've come to the bread, but they haven't eaten. They haven't experienced the satisfaction that their souls so desire. And when Jesus offends them with this eat my body, drink my blood stuff, they're not interested in this anymore. They're out of there. They start to turn around and leave. You see, they know about Jesus, but they haven't eaten the bread of life. They've been around Jesus. They've heard his words. They've seen the bread, but it hasn't gone down deep into their hearts. It hasn't penetrated their skin. Jesus is not inside of them. He's around them. And John 6 teaches us that we must eat the bread of life to live and be satisfied. It's a question I want to pose to you today. You might have been in a church for a long time. You might have heard a lot of messages, sung a lot of songs, read a lot of Bible. But have you eaten the bread of life? Have you digested him? Has he gone inside of you? Is he nourishing you with his life and satisfying you from the inside out? Because that, that's what it means to eat. That's why Jesus uses this cannibalistic language, eat my body, drink my blood. He's like, I don't want you just to be around me. I need to be inside of you. I need you inside of, I need, you need me inside of you. And there's this difference between eating and, well, sorry, I guess eating means it goes in. Eating means we need to swallow the food and it needs to go inside of us. Eating doesn't mean that we chew a sandwich and then spit it out. It doesn't mean that we put something in our mouth and we like let it go a little bit moist and then we get rid of it. It needs to go down into our stomachs where we can digest it and we can get the nutrients out of it. And that's really what Jesus is saying to them about himself. It's not good enough that you've been close to me. I must go deep inside of you. And there's some people there who might say, but I know all about food. You know, I've seen food before. I know the nutritional state of bread. I can tell you how digestion works. I've been to a grocery store. I've bought food. I've watched people eat. But Jesus is saying you need to eat the bread of life for yourself. Information and understanding and experience is not enough. You must eat the bread for yourself. St. Augustine famously said, You made us for yourself, and our hearts find no rest until they rest in you. And Jesus is saying, Only I can fill the emptiness inside of you. Only I can satisfy that hunger inside of your soul. Only I can forgive your sins. Only I can deal with the things that are most important. Only I can bring you into a relationship with God. It's only through me, the living bread. But you must eat the bread. And sadly, this crowd hear what Jesus has got to say, and they say, we're not interested, we're out of here. And they leave. must have been quite an interesting time for the disciples to watch Jesus, you know. At the beginning of this chapter, Jesus is a rock star. 12 to 20,000 people around him listening to him speak. Crowd is going wild, chanting, Jesus, Jesus. It's like a really exciting time to be one of his like 12, you know, the close friends. These people are getting in boats, they're hiring cars, they're doing whatever they can to follow him all around, getting to Jesus, checking into Airbnbs, doing that just to be around him to get a little bit more of him. But by the end of the chapter, 
They've all gone. No one's interested in Jesus anymore. And Jesus is sitting around with the 12. He's having a conversation with them, kind of doing like a little um, post-analysis of what's just gone down in the last session. And he says to them, or John 6 verse 66 says, After this, many of the disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. And Jesus said to the 12, Do you want to go away as well? You can imagine that moment. Like Jesus radically secure. He's not worried about the fact that these people have left. But he's looking at them. He's like, well, the crowds have gone now. Thousands have left me. People don't seem interested in what I represent. Do you guys not want to leave with them as well? And Simon Peter answers and says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Peter and the disciples have eaten the bread of life. It has gone inside of them. They've digested it, and it has satisfied them. They know that Jesus is who he says he is. They've experienced it for themselves. You can imagine Jesus almost in this moment, just mischievously, like just kind of poking the bear with them a little bit. Where are you guys at with me? What do you think of me? Do you want to follow me even though I'm chasing people away? Even though Jesus' ministries is kind of coming to nothing at the moment. Do you guys still believe that I am the bread of life? Do you still believe that I have the words of eternal life? Or not? And Peter speaks first, as he so often does in the Bible, and he says, I have nowhere else to go, Jesus. It's like he's saying, I've been to the other places. I've seen, I've gone to the different places, the different people, the different messages. I've experienced it for myself, but I've experienced you, and I know there is nowhere else to go. In fact, it's like a rhetorical question. Jesus, if there's somewhere else, tell me, and I'll go there. But so far, I know it's just you. It's like he's saying, there is no one else, there's nowhere else, there's nothing else. You are the place, you are the life we've been looking for. We found it in you, so why would we go anywhere else? It's quite a radically exclusive thing. I think some of us maybe today need to choose to eat the bread of life. You might have been around church for a while, might have been around Jesus for a while, maybe even years. You realize, I know about Jesus, but I haven't eaten the bread of life. Would you eat of that bread today? I think maybe for more people, there's this reality that we've eaten of the bread of life in the past. And more recently, what we've done is we've been distracted from that bread and we've been eating other things. We've been eating sweets. We've been eating things that actually don't taste that good. And our palate has changed. And we haven't been like um, nourished by those things, but that is what our palate has gotten used to. Been distracted by the busyness of life and so many things going on. It's like Jesus is saying to us today, would you come back to me? Would you stop eating the things you've been eating, satisfying yourselves on those? Would you eat of the bread of life and be satisfied? Peter has tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And he says, where else can I go? Who else has the words of eternal life? Jesus. Because Peter understood. He could follow fame. He could follow success. He could chase money or women or buildings or whatever it was that he wanted to live for. And it wouldn't give him the same thing. It wouldn't satisfy the way Jesus is. I think for some of us in this room, Jesus is one of the things in our lives, one of the many things that we're eating of and looking for satisfaction in. It's almost like through this passage today, Jesus says, I can't just be one of them. I must be the one. I need to be the one for you that you come to to find your life in. Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. One of the reasons so many of the people left 
is because they weren't willing to pay the price for the reward. When following Jesus meant, okay, I do this, but I get this out of it, they were in. If we're getting the fish sandwiches, we're down, Jesus. This sounds like a good free meal. But as soon as the cost of following Jesus was greater than actually the price they were willing to pay, they're like, now we're out. We'll go somewhere else and find him. It's consumerism that's going on in John chapter 6. They weren't worshiping Jesus as God. They weren't serving him as savior. They were seeing him as some product, some means to an end in their lives. And as soon as actually they didn't want to pay the price for that product anymore, they went somewhere else to find something else. Do you believe today that Jesus is worth the price? Do you believe today that Jesus is worth your life, that he is greater than anything else? I had uh, the most incredible experience about two weeks ago. Most of you know I was in Tunisia with some of the guys who were partnering with there to really see churches planted, see the kingdom of God advance, disciples made, all of that. And um, Tunisia is an interesting place because in the ancient world, it was ancient Carthage, which was the Roman capital of Africa. It was a really, really big deal. And we went to the ruins of this Colosseum that back in the day was the second biggest Colosseum in the world. You had the Colosseum in Rome. And then you had this Colosseum in Tunis. And we went into this place. There were kids kind of playing in the space because this is a historical site. So they're there and they're looking around and they're doing their lessons. And we go there with the team that we're with. And we go into one of these cells kind of underneath. Now, you've got to understand this is a grand space. 36,000 people used to sit in this Colosseum and watch the activity going before. Think the movie Gladiator, if you've seen that before. People fighting, animals in the ring, all of that going on. And martyrs being killed because of their faith. So we go into one of those cells underground in the back. And my friend who is leading this team, he pulls out like, I don't know, his phone. And he starts to read this document about what happened in the cell. And he tells us about these two women, Perpetua and Felicitas, who had been martyred in the Colosseum that we're in. He tells us about Perpetua, who was 22 years old at the time of her martyrdom. You can read about her, one of the earlier Christian documents, it's called The Passion of Perpetua and Felicitas. It tells you the story, it's a probably half an hour read, you could read it later today. But at 22 years of age, Perpetua gave her life for Jesus. Her servant, Felicitas, had shared about Jesus with her, and she'd become a believer. Now she was a new mom. She'd just given birth to a little baby, she was still nursing. And she was arrested by the, I guess, Roman Empire because of her faith in Jesus and put in this cell. And she knew and her family knew that she would be martyred because of her decision to follow Jesus unless she recanted. So her husband would come and her father would come. They would say, please recant. Please give up your faith, at least for the sake of your family. The deacons of the church, the leaders, kind of like the guys we celebrated earlier, would bring her baby to her each day so that she could feed and nurse this child until one day her family said, no more, don't take the baby. And we stood in the cell, and it was just this amazing moment of praying in a space where Christians would have prayed in 200 AD before they went out to die. And we sung this song, um, I Have Decided to Follow Jesus. It's a really beautiful song. I think we're going to sing it at the end now. If you don't know the lyrics, they go, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. The world behind me, the cross before me. No turning back, no turning back. Though none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back, no turning back. My cross I'll carry till I see Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. Will you decide now to follow Jesus? No turning back, no turning back. 
This morning I thought, let me read about the history of the song. So I actually don't know. And it kind of blew my mind because I had that quote from Sadhu Sandar Singh locked in for a week already, but he was the one who actually wrote the song. Really blew me away. The song came out of um, an area called Assam in, in, in India, a region where um, a family were martyred in the mid-19th century. The father's name was Noxeng. And basically what happened is uh, an American Baptist missionary came into their town, shared the gospel with them. Him and his family started to believe in Jesus. And the chief said, you need to recant or we're going to take your lives. And he responded and said, I have decided to follow Jesus. Those were his words. I've decided. I can't change my mind. Jesus is the bread of life. He's worth everything. And they killed his children and they killed his wife. And when they took her life, she said, the world behind me, the cross before me, no turning back. Noxing's life was taken, and the chief and a number of people in that village, because of their faith and their example, actually converted and gave their lives to Jesus and began to follow him. And Sadhu Sandar Singh took those words of theirs and put them into the song that was sung in India and today all around the world about this decision that no matter what it costs me, I will follow him because he is worthy. And I was in this cell in Tunis, kind of opens up a little bit where we sang and where we prayed. And I looked down the corridor that Perpetua and Felicitas would have looked at before they went into the Colosseum to meet their death. And I thought, imagine the price. You know that at any moment you can recant. You can say, I quit on this Christianity thing. I'm out. I'll do whatever you want. Like, don't take my life. And she looked down at that light and decided, he's worth it. He's worth it. And they went into the arena and historical documents say there was a leopard, a bear, and a warthog inside of that arena, as well as people with spears. They were attacked by the animals, gorged by the warthogs, speared to death. And people in the crowd were calling them, please recant, please give up, please stop, we don't want to see you die. These beautiful young women at the age of 22 fearlessly stood in that ring and said, we will serve Jesus no matter what it costs us. I share that today. So I want to ask you, do you believe Jesus is worth your life? Do you believe he is worth your decisions, your money, your choices, your everything? Because he says to us in this passage, I am the bread of life. I am the only one who can satisfy. Don't live for the things that can perish or spoil. Live for me. Come and eat the bread of life and you will find satisfaction for your souls. Cal, why don't you come up and share what you've got for us? I think that's such a powerful story. Um, <laughs> I think like one of the wrestles I have is just like these real deep desires to do big things for the kingdom of God. And... Um, I think in this season of my life, it God's kind of like blessed me with um, the ability to do some business and some endeavors, and that looks like it's a part of my calling. But I've realized that the danger lies um, when we start to allow our callings to be our source of fulfillment and not Christ, and there's a difference. And I think for me, like along with business comes busyness um, and money and the assumption that when you have those things working well, that you have safety. 
And Tim Keller, we were just listening in the car this morning, says that one of the deepest illusions that money brings is this idea that when you have it, you have safety. But the reality is when, when life strikes and we live in a broken world, when there's health issues, where there's relationship issues, um, money can't fix that. Character, community, and relationship with Christ can. Um, so can I leave you with that? <laughs> Jesus is the source, not your calling, not money, not your success, Christ. For um, most of my life, I've had a really difficult relationship with my mother. I'm sure some of you will know that. I've shared about it before. Um, But to be honest with you, for probably the last decade or so, like all of my time, all of my energy, almost everything that I did was kind of set up to earn her approval, to earn her validation of me or her love of me. And I would spend like the majority of my time, the majority of my effort, the majority of my everything, just trying to win over this one thing that I thought would bring me healing, that I thought would bring me wholeness, that I thought would satisfy and fulfill me. And this year, I kind of had this moment where I just felt God say to me, even if one day you were to earn this thing from your mom that you so like desire and crave, it actually wouldn't be enough to satisfy you because the truth is um, I alone satisfy, I alone fulfill, I alone fill that kind of emptiness or thing that feels missing from your life. Um, and that passage in John 6 is also actually a mirror of Jesus being the better Moses. And what we see in the story of Moses is that he leads the Israelites out of Egypt to bring them freedom from the slavery and captivity that they find themselves in. And in this passage in John 6, um, Jesus is talking about the bread that he gives. Um, God gave manna through Moses and led them into freedom. But now Jesus comes to bring us the true bread that brings life and satisfaction so that actually we can be taken out of slavery and set free from this relentless hamster wheel life of trying to chase after these things, whatever it may be, to try and just feel satisfied and whole um, and fulfilled. But that actually, when we look to Jesus, he is the one we're living for to please. He is the one that we find satisfaction in. He is the one who loves us completely. And actually, when we turn to him and decide to follow him um, and to live for him, we find such freedom from that slavery that we sometimes entrap ourselves into in this attempt to try and find the satisfaction that all of us crave within us. And so this morning as the band is going to start playing and as we worship Jesus again, I just really think we could all take a moment to actually just quieten ourselves and just to spend some time just asking God, God, what are those areas in my life that perhaps I've been looking to or hoping will bring the satisfaction that I so desire and crave? And God, would you help me to actually put those things aside and to look to you, to put my hope and my trust in you that actually God, Um, As your scriptures say, you alone are the one who brings true eternal life. So Jesus, we just look to you this morning, Father. And, And first of all, Jesus, we just thank you. Thank you that you were willing to come to this earth to pay the price for us, to set us free from the things that hurt us and harm us, and to bring us true life, God. Thank you for that, Jesus. And I really pray this morning 
that you would help us and enable us through the power of the Holy Spirit um, to actually lay down the, la- the things that we believe are going to bring satisfaction and fulfillment, but actually is only found in you, Father. Would you work with us in, this, in our hearts this morning, God? Would you speak to us this morning? We want to look to you, turn to you, run to you, as we know you are our hope of true life, Father. and just thinking of Perpetua and Felicitas going out to die. I mean, it's a very extreme uh, example, you know. And I think I was looking at the light and just thinking to myself, they were willing to give their lives for Jesus. When I go home, I know there's things I'll struggle with, like people's approval, like money, like the things uh, Kimmy and Cal have shared about. Areas where I don't want to die that are far less extreme, far smaller. And I just thought maybe two responses we could make today. One, is there any area where we're not willing to die to Jesus or not believing he's good enough? And is there anyone today who actually needs to eat of the bread of life? Either for the first time, you need to become a Christian truly and begin to follow Jesus. Or maybe you've grown a taste for something else 
today you're saying, I need to come back. I need to eat from him and follow him fully. So maybe you can just take a moment to reflect and pray. As a church, we are committed to following you. We want to know you and we want to make you known. I pray for any of us today that are doubting just how radical your claim is that you are the bread of life. I pray that you would reveal yourself to us and that you would satisfy us in the radical way that you promise. But for some of us, even now, we want to eat of you for the first time. For others, we want to eat of you again. We miss the taste of you. But Lord, I pray that you would help us to see your worth, your beauty, your glory, how you are greater than anything else. And help us to let go of the things maybe we've been trusting in and clinging to, and just to take hold of you fully. We celebrate your birth at Christmas time, and we thank you, Lord, that you came into this world. But we thank you that you came as the bread of life, you came to satisfy us. I pray today, now, in this moment, this week, that you would satisfy us, Lord that you would be our everything, that you would fill us up, you would free us from emptiness inside of our souls, that you would please us, that you would give us what we need. Say, come and show your beauty to us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.